That's Chad is brought to you by Walters with only 22 home games left this season. Walters is bringing out some new menu items starting this week. A fresh mozzarella capri sandwich with heirloom tomato on a sun-dried tomato ciabatta roll. An ahi tuna poke bowl with cauliflower rice, carrots, radish, and pickled red onions. And the hottest food trend on TikTok, a smoked cream cheese with pulled beef scallions and pickled jalapenos. Make the last bit of your summer a fun one at Walters. Reservations for this weekend series against Atlanta are available now at waltersdc.com slash reservations. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The assets. Kicks and fires. Swing and a pop-up. This should do it. Right center field. Conforto shading his eyes. Called off by Nimmo with a better angle on the sun. And in right center makes the catch. And the game is over. And the Mets have taken game one of the doubleheader and won the first two games of the series. Here's the pitch. Fastball hit high in the air to left field deep. Way back. Stevenson at the wall. He is going to leap for it. And it is gone. Goodbye. Game over. Mets win on a majestic, soaring, high fly ball that just gets over the wall. It's straightaway left field, and Pete Alonso is bombed at home plate. And welcome to NatSat for Friday, August 13th, 2021. What is Friday the 13th? Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast with you, flying solo. I don't know if Mark took off for this show because it is airing on Friday the 13th. No, actually, Mark's birthday was on Thursday the 12th, so we do say happy birthday to Mark Zuckerman, and we do say hello and welcome to you. It's great to have you with us on another installment of the Nats Chat podcast, although we are talking again off a losing day for the Nationals, what ended up being a double dip of a losing day for the Nationals as they get swept in a doubleheader at the New York Mets on Thursday afternoon. 4-1, seven-inning loss in Game 1, a 5-4, seven-inning walk-off loss in Game 2, a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-1, seventh-inning deficit, but then got walked off in the bottom of the seventh inning. Kyle Finnegan in that bottom of the seventh, giving up a one-out walk-off solo homer to Pete Alonso on a towering shot. So the Nats get swept in the doubleheader at the Mets on Thursday, get swept over the course of the three games at the Mets this week. What was a mess of a series, right, from a scheduling standpoint, you had that 8-7 loss in the rain-suspended game that started on Tuesday night, ended on Wednesday. Then you get this doubleheader on Thursday afternoon, and for a while, late in Game 2, it (laughs) was uncertain whether we'd get the entirety of that game in. If you watched the game, you saw this, an ominous horde of dark clouds were above City Field in the later innings 
of that Game 2 loss for the Nationals on Thursday afternoon. You had the wind blowing like crazy. You had, like, trash that started to blow onto the field at City Field. It just it felt for so much of the series like the baseball gods just didn't want this series to take place for whatever reason. I'm not sure what was going on with that. And for so much of the Game 2 loss for the Nats on Thursday, it felt like neither team wanted to win the game. You know, the Nats didn't seem to want to win the game, then the Mets didn't seem to want to win the game, and then the Nats end up giving the game right back to the Mets with what Kyle Finnegan allowed in that bottom of the seventh inning. But, you know, you take a step back now, and the losing really is something with this Nationals team for the moment. Now, look, I've said it. I think a lot of you are on board with this. At this point, this Nats season, it's not about the outcomes of games. It's about how the potential building blocks are doing. It's about the process of these games. You know, it's not about what happens. It's about who does what. But it is hard to just completely ignore the outcomes. The Nats now are 15 games below 500. I mean, how about that? When's the last time we said something like that? The Nats are 15 games below 500 at 50 and 65. The Nats, since winning 14 of 17 games to get to 40 and 38, are 10 and 27. And that coincides right with the start of July. You know, we've talked about how the month of July was, if not the worst month in Nationals history, then certainly among the worst months in Nationals history. August hasn't been much better. Uh, The Nats since the start of July have lost 27 of 37 games. We're not used to this year. We've been spoiled by the Nationals over the last decade or so in terms of this always being a winning team or at the very least a team, you know, in contention or pseudo contention come August and September. Like you think about some of the non-playoff years in recent years, 2013, 2015, 2018, the Nats still finished with winning records in those seasons. Like it was all relative when it came to, well, this was a bad season for the Nats. Well, yeah, but they still did finish with a winning record. That's not happening this year. And I know it didn't happen last year, but you know, you could maybe push off last year to saying it was a 60 game season. This is not a 60 game season. The Nats are losing a ton. And it's important to remember the losing was taking place before the sell-off. So yes, the sell-off has exacerbated things, but the sell-off did not create this situation of the Nats being a losing team. And in fact, the Nats got pummeled in a decent number of their games prior to the sell-off. It's kind of odd. The losing lately, the losing post the sell-off a lot of close losses. Now, they're still losses, but like something like the embarrassing loss to the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park in game one of the Nats after the All-Star break, that 24-8 loss on July 16th, right? That was before the sell-off. The Nats got crushed in that game, got smacked around in the next game, a 10-4 loss to the Padres on July 17th. So this has been a flawed team. We've talked about that, and uh, the flaws have been uh, deepened with the sell-off. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you look at these Nationals lineups game in, game out. They're not major league quality lineups. I mean, these guys are doing what they can. And like I said, the Nats did battle, certainly in game two, you know. The boys battled, as Davey likes to say. Nats did a really good job scoring three runs in the top of the seventh. But ultimately, there's just not enough firepower with the Nats, both in the lineup and in the pitching uh, rotation, in the bullpen, you know, on the pitching staff. And so, like, everything's got to go right for the Nats. Everything's got to be just perfect for the Nats to win. And it's just hard to play baseball that way. It's hard to consistently win when uh, those are the terms that are required for you to be winning. So with the Nationals bullpen, you know, we talk about, well, what does matter over the course of the rest of the regular season? Well, the younger players do. Well, you have a lot of young guys right now in the Nationals bullpen. And so this really is, hey, wide open territory here. And may the best man emerge in terms of someone becoming a reliable back end of the bullpen arm for the Nationals. Like, you have every opportunity right now, if you're a young reliever and you're on the Nats, to state your case 
to being a top guy for Davey Martinez the rest of this season and going into next season. You know, we've talked in the past about the A bullpen and the B bullpen, the varsity bullpen and the JV bullpen. The entire bullpen now is a B bullpen. The entire bullpen now is a JV bullpen. And what happens when you have a case like that is you suffer with the growing pains. And the Nats sure did that in game two on Thursday. So three young slash inexperienced relievers were called upon by Davey Martinez in the game two loss, the 5-4-7 inning walk-off loss. Gabe Klobositz, Tanner Rainey, and Kyle Finnegan. Now, Klobositz did do a good job. My guy Klobo did deliver a perfect bottom of the fifth inning that included a four-pitch strikeout of Pete Alonso. So good job by Klobo. Klobositz deals. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a high fastball. That one above the belt. And Alonso out swinging for out number two. But not such a good job by the next two guys. Tanner Rainey was the Nats 27th man for the doubleheader, right? You get to label someone your 27th man when you play a doubleheader. And Tanner Rainey struggled. We had not seen Tanner Rainey pitch at the major league level in a while. The Nats on August 1st had optioned Rainey to AAA Rochester. Uh, So we see Rainey for the first time in a while at the major league level. You say, all right, maybe he's reset some things, worked on some things, you know, a new beginning for Tanner Rainey as a major league reliever for the Nats. Not so. He gives up two runs in the bottom of the six, gives up a one-out two-run homer to Jonathan Villard to dead center on an 0-2 pitch. The kick and the pitch. Rainey delivers a fastball hit in the air to deep center field. Robles way back to the warning track, to the wall, and this one is gone. Goodbye. Hit off the black wall behind the center field fence. Dead center. Straight away, a two-run homer for Jonathan VR is 13th of the year. And the Mets break it open a bit from a one-run lead. And now match the score of game one. It's New York four and Washington one. So there's a lot going on there, right? A, it's a homer. B, it's a homer on an 0-2 pitch. C, it's a homer to dead center. And D, it's a homer to dead center by Jonathan Villar. Now, Villar isn't a terrible player, but, you know, Villar isn't Michael Conforto or Pete Alonso. And yet Villar tattooed that baseball. The homer going a projected 417 feet per stat cast. And then Kyle Finnegan, who for a while was looking like, hey, you know what? This guy's actually doing a nice job as the Nats' new closer, but things have not gone so well for him lately. And Finnegan, in the bottom of the seventh, gets an out, but then gives up the game-ending blow, a one-out walk-off solo homer to Pete Alonso on a towering shot. I mean, it felt like that baseball was in the air for about an hour and a half. The bullpen had issues, too, in game one of the doubleheader sweep on Thursday. Now, this was a bullpen game, so the entirety of the game essentially was pitched by Nationals relievers. The game was started by uh, Sean Nolan, who uh, we talked about in the last installment of the podcast. Sean Nolan, yet another 30-something, called up to the majors this season by the Nats, who, like I said, have got to lead the majors, or at least be close to leading the majors, in 30-something call-ups over the course of this season. Sean Nolan had not pitched in a major league regular season game since October 2015. That's another thing about Nolan. It's not just that he's in his 30s and isn't some, you know, young 20-something on the come. He's a guy in his 30s trying to reignite his career who had not pitched in the majors since October 2015. I mean, that's almost six years ago. Like, what was going on in your life in October 2015? Like, a lot of things were different in our world in October 2015. Matt, what's your gut? Is this your last game or this you'll be back next year? Uh, Mike talked to you today. Did Mike? Yeah, okay. So uh, I'm, I'm with him in that everything will be evaluated. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll get home and uh, evaluate everything. 
And so what happens? You know, he gives up three runs in the bottom of the second inning. He is charged with a run in the bottom of the fourth inning. And ultimately, it's four runs in three innings. Like, I'm not sure what anyone expected from Sean Nolan. Like, what did you think was going to happen? The guy's been pitched in forever. Gave up that two-out full count three-run homer to Brandon Nimmo to right field in that bottom of the second inning. Now, the rest of the game from a Nationals bullpen perspective was okay, but, you know, it still wasn't great. Andres Machado officially tossed a scoreless inning, but I didn't think he looked very good. Uh, And what ended up being a one-run Mets fourth, he allowed an inherited runner to score, gave up two singles and a hit by pitch. Uh, Javi Guerra tossed a scoreless fifth inning despite giving up two singles. And Jeffrey Rodriguez tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth inning. But you could argue out of those four, only Rodriguez really looked good in the game. And, you know, that's all relative. So this is where you're at right now with the Nationals bullpen. It's a lot of younger guys or unproven guys. And you're just kind of saying, well, can someone please step forward and become a reliable bullpen arm for us? And right now we're still waiting on that. But again, you go back to before the sell-off, right? It's not like Brad Hand was killing it either. So the Nats could be still having bullpen problems if Brad Hand is on the team, even if Daniel Hudson is on the team. I do think it's important to remember that. The Nationals' lone true starting pitcher in this doubleheader sweep at the Mets on Thursday was Eric Fetty. So he started game two and, you know, he was okay. But to me at this point, it's like, okay, isn't good enough. I want to see more. I want to see better from Fetty. You know, he wasn't awful or anything like that, but two runs in four innings. He gave up six hits, three doubles and three singles. He did have four strikeouts versus one walk, but he also threw 41 strikes versus 27 balls. Now he began his outing well, three scoreless innings, Although over those three scoreless innings, he put some guys on base, gave up a double, two singles, and a walk. But you say, all right, that's good. That's a nice start to your outing. Let's keep it going, especially in what is supposed to be a mere seven-inning game. And then Fetty gets into trouble. Two runs in the bottom of the fourth on a leadoff full-count double by Michael Conforto, despite Conforto having been down in the count at 1.02. Then comes a first-pitch RBI double by J.D. Davis. Then comes a single by Jonathan Villar. And then comes an RBI force-out grounder by James McCann. So again, Fetty wasn't like wretched or anything like that. But you know, this was another one of these typical Eric Fetty starts. I feel like so many of Eric Fetty starts all go like in the same bucket of was he woeful? No. Was he great? No. Do we still feel like we really know what Eric Fetty is? No, not really. And you know, maybe that is what he is. He's just kind of one of those guys, you know, He belongs in the same room as Joe Ross. Like he's a number four, number five starter. And you need guys like that. You know, you don't just dismiss people like that. But the notion of the guy being more than a number four, number five, just as time goes on, it just doesn't feel like that's happening. And it's unfortunate because for a while this season, it did feel like that could be Fetty. But he's really taken some steps back here. And it feels like a lot of it does coincide with his time on the 10-day injured list. Now, Eric Fetty, you know, speaking of dark clouds hovering above you, Eric Fetty's had that, right? The guy tested positive for COVID-19 despite being vaccinated for COVID-19. He then, like, had this left oblique issue that seemingly came out of nowhere, went on the 10-day injured list. He's now made eight starts since coming off the 10-day IL uh, due to the left oblique strain. And he's been just not that good. 36 total innings, 28 earned runs. Just, just you know, it's not very good. It, it's uh, It kind of is just, you know, there when Eric Fetty pitches. And I thought it was another one of those outings for him on Thursday afternoon. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. 
Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers, is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games, You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Two and one, the count to pitch. Swing a ground ball, chopped right side toward the hole, and under McNeil in the right of base hit. One run is scored. Conforto's throw to the plate, diving in ahead of the throw and tying the game is Arado Parra. On a ground ball through the right side for a hit for Andrew Stevenson and drives in the tying runs. And the crowd upset at City Field in New York. It's now the Nationals for the Mets four. Nationals offense, you know, like we said, these are makeshift lineups in so many ways, vagabond lineups in so many ways, especially in game two of this doubleheader. Like the Nationals normal lineup, quote unquote, right now is a makeshift lineup because of the sell-off. When you have something like game two of a doubleheader or a day game after a night game, you have like a makeshift of the makeshift. That's kind of what you had going on in game two of this doubleheader. But like I said, the Nats did battle back. The boys battled, as Davey Martinez likes to say, and I give the Nationals credit for that. That was a good rally for them. Three runs in the top of the seventh to go from trailing 4-1 to tying the game at four. Two key moments in that inning. Luis Garcia had a leadoff full count single, and Andrew Stevenson, who was an at starting left fielder and number two batter, had a two-out game-tying two-run single off the Mets reliever Jo Reese Familia in that top of the seventh inning to tie the game at four. Now, this seventh inning took forever. 
The seventh inning had like no rhythm to it. The Mets bullpen was so bad in that inning. Familia came into the game to try to shut things down. Couldn't get the job done. The guy who really struggled, though, more so for the Mets in that inning was the initial reliever in that inning, Trevor May. Again, no rhythm, wasn't working quickly. These relievers, uh, it's amazing to me. It, It seems to me, anyway, you're a reliever, right? What you really want to do is go into the game, work quickly, throw strikes, right? Bing, bang, boom. Just get in there and get going. It seems to me that's when most relievers are at their most effective. These relievers who come in and they nibble and they work slowly and every pitch is like this painstaking activity and, you know, it's like 45 seconds between each pitch. It just feels like it never really goes well if you're a bullpen guy. Like if I ever become a reliever for a major league team, I'm going to at least try to work quickly because I feel like you get into a rhythm and you can be at your best in that way. You had like no rhythm from a Mets bullpen standpoint in that top of the seventh inning. But the Nats did a really good job of capitalizing on that. So I want to salute that. That was a good job for them. Also, offensively for the Nats over the course of uh, the doubleheader, a few other things that jumped out to me. So how about Juan Soto's line over the course of the two games on Thursday? Uh, Soto started each game, right? Starting right fielder, number three batter, 0 for 2 with five walks. Uh, we've joked about, you know, is Juan Soto going to see another pitch to hit the entire year? He is getting pitches to hit, and uh, he actually did quite well in game one of this series, that rain-suspended game. But I feel like as the season goes on, we're probably going to see more lines like that. 0 for 2 with five walks with Soto over the course of the two games. Carter Keboom did continue to hit in the doubleheader again, right? This season, as it goes on, it's not so much about outcomes. It's about who's doing what, the young potential building blocks. Carter Keboom falls into that category of young potential building blocks. And the defense has left a lot to be desired. We've talked about that, but the hitting has been much better. Facing Diaz, a pitch swung on, line drive into the gap in left center field. That's base hit. It's going to roll all the way to the wall for extra bases. Nimmo will pick it up with a warning track as Keyboom coasts into second with a double. So he has a multi-hit game, two for three with a single and a double. You know, he's getting on base. He's getting base hits. Carter Keyboom in the 4-1-7 inning loss in game one, two for three with a double and a single. He had a one-out single to the left center field gap on a 1-2 pitch in the top of the second. He had a one-out first pitch double to the left center field gap in the top of the seventh. And then Keyboom in the 5-4-7 inning walk-off loss in game two, one for three with a strikeout. He had a one-out single in the top of the second inning. He's not like setting the world on fire with his bat right now. But do you know what Carter Keyboom's OPS now is for the season at the major league level? And, and that essentially is his entire time since he got called back up for this most recent stint in the majors because he, he barely got any plate appearances in his initial stint at the major league level this season. 785. Carter Keyboom's OPS for the season at the major league level is 785. That's pretty good. That, that surprises some people. He's doing a good job as a hitter. He's got to clean up the defense, no doubt, especially with him playing a premium defensive position in third base, but that can come. And like we've talked about, the defensive issues are more about the transfer of the baseball from the glove to the throwing hand and then the actual throw. He's actually catching most of what is hit toward him, for the most part anyway. So I I feel like his defensive issues are fixable. The big thing with Kiwum has been the bat, right? The bat, that's why he became such a highly regarded prospect a few years ago. And we are starting to see signs of that bat coming around at the major league level. So good to see that with him. Uh, I thought it was a mixed doubleheader for Victor Robles. He did have another double in the uh, game one loss for the Nats. A first pitch RBI double down the left field line in the top of the sixth inning. Victor one for three with the double and a strikeout in that game one loss. So for Victor now, 19 doubles on the season 
Victor Robles is number one among all currently active nationals in doubles on the year, 19, four more than Josh Bell's 15, six more than Juan Soto's 13. Yeah, uh, we talked about that in the last installment of the podcast. How many people would think that Victor Robles has six more doubles than Juan Soto has on the year? It's amazing. Victor Robles' slugging percentage on the season is 299, which is awful. Juan Soto's slugging percentage on the season is 507, which is really good. And yet Robles has six more doubles than Soto has. Of course, Robles also only has two home runs, which explains why the slugging percentage is so low. But uh, I don't know. Robles' statistical line is fascinating to me. I I could do like two hours on it. Uh, He did struggle big time in game two of the doubleheader, 0 for 4 with a strikeout and left five men on base. Speaking of struggling, the Nats in this series at the Mets, the overall series, got nothing from their first baseman. This was not a good series for Josh Bell and Ryan Zimmerman. Josh Bell in the game one loss, 0 for 5, left four men on base. Here's the set. Here's the pitch. Bell swings and a ground ball up the middle. Right there, the second baseman, McNeil. He flips to the shortstop. The throw is wide, but Alonso puts the tag on Bell, trying to get down and out of the way to complete the double play and end the inning. Josh Bell in the game two loss, what was game one of the doubleheader, 0 for 3 with a strikeout, left four men on base. He grounded into a killer. 4-6-3 double play with the bases loaded to end the Nats' one-run six inning. And then Bell as a pinch hitter in the game two loss of the doubleheader. Game three of the series struck out with runners on first and second and nobody out in the top of the seventh inning. May has the sign from McCann, the kick of the pitch. Swing and a miss at a fastball that he chased up and out of the strike zone. You know, Bell, we've talked about, he's been largely a really good hitter for the Nationals since the start of May. So I don't want to crush the guy, but this was not a good series for him. And Ryan Zimmerman struggled as the Nats starting first baseman in game two of the doubleheader, game three of the series, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts and left four men on base. Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week, like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.TV. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today. Well, next up for the Nats is a five-game homestand, three games against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park Friday through Sunday, then no game on Monday, then a two-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Nationals Park on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's going to be kind of an odd schedule for the Nats next week. They're going to have two off days. I can't remember the last time that happened in terms of two scheduled off days for the Nats, but there will be no game on Monday and then no game on Thursday. You're almost like, man, can we spread out some of those off days here? I feel like the Nats would be thinking that. But, you know, maybe a chance for this team to catch its breath a bit. But look, we're only in mid-August, right? The Nationals' regular season doesn't end until October 3rd. There's an argument to be made that the Nationals now are operating on fumes. You do wonder, like, how bad are things going to get from a roster depletion standpoint, from a, hey, we're just out of body standpoint as this season goes on? I don't know. It's, it's tough. This has been a trying season for the Nationals in a lot of ways. And uh, it'd be one thing if we were in late September and you only had like two weeks to go in the season, but you have a, like a month and a half to go 
in this season. So the Nats have got to figure out a way to finish the season and hopefully, again, continue to see young guys do well. And that is the thing. That is what we're focusing on. And along those lines, who is starting the Nationals next game? Josiah Gray. And I don't know about you, but right now, I don't look forward to anything more when it comes to the Nats than Josiah Gray pitching. Like that to me is the main event right now when the Nationals play. When does Josiah Gray pitch next? Because that's the thing that can really get people excited about the Nationals moving forward. If Josiah Gray is legit, he's coming off that excellent outing, 10 strikeouts in five innings, and uh, hopefully we see more of the same from him come game one against the Braves Friday night, 7.05 at Nationals Park. You can always reach us at the Nats Chat Podcast. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can also email the show, Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to send us a voice memo, we are asking for you to send along your World Series memories. Uh, A lot of bad feelings, a lot of bad vibes with the Nationals this year. It's been a rough season, no doubt. And especially when you consider that you, the Nats fan, never got a proper victory lap in the 2020 season off what the Nats did in 19. We want to have some fun with this over the course of the rest of the season and play some of your favorite moments, uh, favorite memories of the Nationals run to the 2019 World Series. So if you have like 30 seconds or a minute or whatever, you want to just record yourself sharing a memory, sharing a thought about the Nats 2019 postseason run, uh, record yourself doing that into your phone, and then you can just email that file to us. Again, the email address is Podcast at gmail.com. Also, a new batch of Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts is in. Uh, These are great looking shirts. So many of you have uh, worn your shirts proudly at Nationals Park. We appreciate that so much. Our friend Melissa wore her Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt at City Field. She did so at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And then she took the Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt to City Field. There may be no greater Nats Chat Podcast warrior than Melissa. We salute you. And uh, we certainly invite you to get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. And always know, if you wear it somewhere, take a photo of yourself, tweet it to us, and we'll retweet it. Again, the Twitter handle is at Nats underscore chat. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Is is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa? Iowa?